And now we will have the third speaker for this session, and he is a bhikkhu in the Theravadan Buddhist um, tradition, and he's been practicing intensive and daily meditation following the Mahasi Sayadaw tradition over the last 17 years. He has been teaching intensive meditation in Thailand, Sri Lanka, the US, and the Canada. The topic would be wrong mindfulness and its consequences according to the Buddha. Please join me to welcome Yutadamo Bhikkhu. Mahasangha. Good morning, everyone. So today I was asked to talk about wrong mindfulness, which is interesting because uh, the Buddha was quite clear that mindfulness is always good. In the Abhidhamma, it's called a sobhana jetasika, so it's, it's a beautiful mind state. Um, and so what I'd like to do is explore some of the ways that mindfulness can go wrong. The Buddha himself did use the term wrong mindfulness. It's not something that we came up with. Um, but mindfulness itself is a positive state. So I'd like to first look at, I know the other two speakers have talked a little bit about it already, but uh, about mindfulness. So I'm just going to give a technical description if I can figure out how this thing works. So with any Dhamma in the traditional Theravada texts, uh, we have four qualities or four aspects that we, we use to define it. The the characteristic, the function, the manifestation, and the proximate cause. This is with, with all dhammas. Does this thing work? I got the wrong one. My other talk is on technology, so <laughs> I have something to say about that tomorrow. Now it works for you. Technology isn't. Okay, so just press this one. I did. So repeatedly. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. So the characteristic: the characteristic of mindfulness is not wobbling. The ordinary mind wobbles. It wavers, it isn't stable, it isn't fixed on an object. Mindfulness is able to grasp the object. Uh, its function is to not forget. So ordinary mindfulness can actually refer to mem remembering things that happened a long time ago in the past, the ability to recollect something. But in Satipatthana, in, in mindfulness meditation practice, it means to not forget the object in the present moment. So ordinarily we experience something and then right away we're off in the mind judging it, reacting to it, and we forget about the object. You see something, but you're not interested in the seeing, you're interested in, in what it means. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it me? Is it mine? And so on. Mindfulness doesn't do that. Mindfulness sticks with the actual object. It is manifested as guarding. So mindfulness guards the mind. It guards the mind from defilements, specifically. An ordinary mind is unguarded, and so lots of defilements are able to enter. Or it is manifested simply as confronting the objective field. And so what this means is an ordinary mind is unable to confront. It's like 
When an experience comes, and if it's an unpleasant experience, the mind shies away from it. If it's a pleasant experience, the mind immediately chases after it. But to just sit and confront the object, this is mindfulness. To be able to be with a positive or a negative experience without reacting. Okay, this is, this is fun. It's proximate cause is strong perception. So the proximate cause means what gives rise to mindfulness? Tira sanya. So this is the Pali. Sanya is, an, is a perception of something. When you perceive that you're seeing, the perception of seeing, well, that's sanya. When you perceive that you're hearing a, a cat meowing, the perception of the cat, that's sanya. But tira sanya is when you reaffirm it. It becomes strengthened. So this is what meditation does. When you practice meditation, for example, the texts give the object of, of a disk of earth. If you're, if you're looking at earth, then you just repeat to yourself, earth, 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 or batui, batui. And by doing that, your mind stays focused on the object. Uh, you strengthen the perception. This is going to take longer than 15 minutes if I can't get through this. Okay. Uh, or, simply put, the proximate cause is the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness, which the other monks have gone through. It should be regarded, okay, and then we got a couple of similes, so it should be regarded as a pillar. Like I said, uh, the, the uh, function or the characteristic is to not wobble. So the texts talk about this idea of a gourd floating on the, on the top of the water. It flits about here and there as compared to a pillar sunk in the bottom of the, the, the lake. No matter what the, how the waves or the wind buffet it, it doesn't shake. Mindfulness is like the pillar. Or it is like a doorkeeper because it guards the eye and the, and the ear and so on. So uh, the, the sense doors, the sense doors are where all of our experience comes and therefore where all of the problems come. And if the mindfulness is there, it lets the experience in without letting in the defilements. So that's mindfulness. When we talk about wrong mindfulness, then the question is, well, what, what, what then does that mean? And I've, I've come up with four categories that I think according to the Buddha's teaching, relate to this idea of wrong mindfulness. I'll just go through them. The first is unmindfulness. So unmindfulness is just the opposite of mindfulness. If you never go to a meditation center or never take up the practice of meditation, you're generally unmindful. So your mind wobbles. This is the opposite, right? Your mind is forgetful, so you can't remember things that happened yesterday, and, and, and you can never remember the present moment. You experience something and immediately you react. You don't confront the object, and it's caused by weak perception. You perceive something, but your mind is not trained, right? Your mind is not uh, well-developed in order to stick with the perceptions, or you get lost in your reactions. The second is something called misdirected mindfulness. So this uh, type of mindfulness is not actually wrong in a general sense. Uh, just like if you want to go to Niagara Falls, you've got to get on the QEW. If you get on the 400, you're on your way to Sudbury. You're never, it's not, there's nothing wrong with the 400. It's just it doesn't lead to Niagara Falls. Uh, this, by the same token, if you practice mindfulness of the past, remembering even your past lives, for example, it's never going to allow you to attain enlightenment because it's focused on the wrong object. Nothing wrong with it. It's just a mundane object or it's a conceptual object. Mindfulness of the future is the same if you're able to plan ahead or if you're even able to uh, have an experience of precognition where you see something before it happens. could be considered a form of mindfulness, but it doesn't help you because it's not focused on actual reality as you experience it. 
And of course, mindfulness of concepts. Now, mindfulness of concepts is, is a valid meditation technique. So if you focus on a candle flame, for example, or as I said, the disk of earth, eventually you're able to see this object in your mind conceptually. Now, that object is stable, it's satisfying, and it's even controllable. You can expand it, you can contract it, you can enter into very high states of calm with it. But it's not going to lead you to enlightenment because it's a concept. It's not impermanent, it's not... Anicca, dukkha, anatta, you're not going to see the three characteristics. The third is something I'd call lapsed mindfulness. And so this is like unmindfulness, except the key here is that this arises in someone who is practicing correctly. Um, because for every meditator, we're not robots, we're not machines, we don't, this isn't an assembly line where we pass people through and they all come out enlightened. Everyone has conditions that they come to the meditation with, and so everyone has a different experience. Often this, this shows itself as positive states. It can also show itself as negative states, deep states that we keep hidden inside. So the texts deal with some of the good ones. These are positive states that arise because you're practicing correctly, but they themselves are not the path. They themselves will not lead you to enlightenment, and unfortunately, sometimes meditators start to think that they will. For example, you see bright lights or colors or pictures, and you say, oh, that must be the path to enlightenment, or knowledge that you gain about your problems or knowledge about uh, past lives or being able to read people's minds, many different kinds of knowledge that you get caught up in. Rapture, you can feel energy or lightness or goosebumps. All of these things can distract you from being mindful. Tranquility, sometimes you feel very calm and then you don't know what to do because there's nothing to be mindful of, except you can be mindful of the calm and we forget this. Happiness, meditators often feel great happiness. And again, all of these are good things. The problem is when you get attached to it and stop being mindful of it. Confidence, of course, being mindful suddenly focuses your mind and makes you very confident. Suddenly you're very sure of yourself, sure of your teacher, sure of your practice, sure of the Buddha. And you get caught up in that and think, wow, this is great, this is the best, and you're no longer mindful. Exertion, you gain a great amount of energy from the practice, and this can distract you. Sometimes you have to get up and run around because you have so much energy. Mindfulness, even mindfulness, because you gain such clear mindfulness, you start to become complacent, and you think, boy, am I mindful. <laughs> it happens. It happens more often than, than one might think. It's kind of funny that mindfulness can be a distraction. Equanimity, you become very calm, and you think, wow, I'm enlightened, this is great. Equanimity comes and goes, and if it still goes, well, it's not enlightenment. And finally, attachment. Attachment is really the problem if you're attached to any of these. Or if you're attached to anything, really, attached to sights or sounds or, or, or anything, this will lead you to get distracted. So your mindfulness will lapse. The final um, thing that I would call wrong mindfulness is I think what Brahmavangsa was, was uh, talking about uh, and I think this is probably what the Buddha really meant by wrong mindfulness. When he, he talked about the Eightfold Noble Path, right? And these are the other seven factors. So we have wrong view and so on and so on. And the point is that mindfulness is impotent if it's not associated with the other seven path factors. So if you have wrong view, as the Venerable said, uh, it's, it's going to, no matter how mindful you are, if you still believe in things like the soul or the self or if you don't believe in karma, if you, have, you know, think that God created us and so on, all of this is going to prevent you from seeing clearly the ordinary experience. Wrong thought, wrong speech, 
uh, if you have bad intentions or ambitions, cruelty in the mind and that kind of thing, if, you have, if you're a liar, if you're a, a gossip, if you just talk a lot, uh, it's going to get in the way of mindfulness. If you're a murderer, if you're a thief, if you take drugs or alcohol, all of these, of course, are going to get in the way. I mean, you can be, try your best at being mindful, but if you aren't keeping, for example, keeping the five precepts, I would never teach someone a meditation course if they weren't able to keep at least the five precepts. It's just futile. Uh, wrong livelihood, so if you make a living out of those bad things, wrong effort, if you're lazy, or if your effort is directed towards the cultivated, cultivation of unwholesomeness, all of that will prevent mindfulness from being effective. And if wrong, mind, wrong concentration, if you're unfocused, or if you're focused on the wrong things. So... Idea being the Eightfold Noble Path has to work together. Mindfulness is not enough. Mindfulness is like the key that starts the engine, gets everything going. But if your engine's broken, key doesn't do much. So we have some consequences. This is the last thing I'll talk about. I've got a few minutes left. Uh, the first consequence of wrong mindfulness potentially is regression. And so this isn't that, it's, it's unfortunate, but it isn't that dangerous. Uh, regression just means you get discouraged. You, instead of gaining wholesome states, you regress. You, you become unmindful and you get afraid of the practice or upset with the practice. You think the practice is useless because, well, you're not doing it properly. And so one leaves the practice, even leaves Buddhism, even begins to disparage Buddhism as useless and so on, which is unfortunate. Stagnation. Stagnation is also common. It's common for meditators to practice for years without becoming enlightened. They practice and they're very calm and peaceful, but they never gain insight because they never actually look at the four satipatthana. Instead, they're focused, say, on concepts. If someone practices loving-kindness, it's a great thing. If one practices focusing on a candle flame, eventually, apparently, you can learn to shoot fireballs out of your hands. It's great fun, but not going to lead you to enlightenment. This isn't me. The ancient texts are full of these things. This apparently is a thing. Uh, complication. The third consequence is, of course, the most dangerous. Is mindfulness is, of course, designed to simplify things. As the Buddha said, when you see, let it just be seeing. This is how you should train yourself. When you hear, let it just be hearing. When you experience something, let it just be the experience. When you're unmindful or if you have a sort of a, technically speaking, perverted state of mindfulness in the sense of having one of the other fa factors, path factors, missing, it complicates things. It can actually create mind states that are more tense, more stressed, more poisonous. And through repeated and, and intensive practice, it's actually possible to wind yourself up so that you lose your mindfulness entirely. And go what we might call temporarily insane. You, you, you're unable to control yourself. I've, had this, I've seen this happen. Never happened with any of my meditators, but I've seen it where uh, a meditator will lose their mindfulness. And that's, of course, the most dangerous. So I don't have a lot of time. I'm, I'm out of time, actually, but I hope we can talk about this a little more. I'm really interested to... I have much more to say on this topic. Um, but, but, of course, wrong mindfulness is a thing, and it's something we'll have to be concerned with. So thank you very much. I appreciate all of your attention.